Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a lot of news for a Friday. Tonight, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis goes to Pennsylvania to support Trump-endorsed January 6th attendee and candidate Doug Mastriano. While back in Florida, DeSantis is bringing his far-right agenda to the classroom, the state telling educators what they must teach and what they are not allowed to say. Tonight, part two of our special report. And Democrats, hopeful as Republicans run scared. New polling showing the GOP's Trump-backed candidates could cost them a chance at taking the Senate. Republican strategist Mike Murphy, who is fed up with his party, joins us live. Plus, Trump ally Lindsey Graham is told he must testify next week. Andrew Weissman, former federal prosecutor and senior member of Robert Mueller's team, is our guest. But tonight, we begin with this story. The man waiting in the wings. While Donald Trump is fending off a torrent of investigations, there is one person who has been ready to take the mic should the former president go bankrupt, be caught in jail, or simply fall into a classified box. That man is Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. The first-term governor has catapulted to celebrity status among Republicans thanks to his abrasive style and his relentless desire to wade into the culture wars on behalf of the far right. With his sights clearly set on a 2024 run, Governor DeSantis is now taking his show on the road. He's headlining rallies for key GOP candidates all across the USA. Just last week, he visited Arizona to stump on behalf of the far-right election deniers running for governor and Senate in that state. There, he was praised as the beast from the East and the best governor we have in this country. Gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake was downright giddy when saying that she'd been described as the DeSantis of the West. She called it the greatest compliment one could imagine, short of being called Trump in a dress. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. Well, today, Governor DeSantis held back-to-back rallies in Pennsylvania and Ohio to whip up support for candidates in those states. And to say that the Mastriano camp in particular was effusive in its praise of DeSantis, that would be a, a total understatement. The Pennsylvania rally today included a highly stylized video hyping DeSantis as a man who has terrified the left and the leftists and the media. Mastriano himself praised DeSantis as the best governor in the country, building upon his insistence that he wants Pennsylvania to be the Florida of the North. Given that Republican candidates want to use Florida as a model for state government, it's worth taking a look at what's been happening in the Sunshine State just this week alone. Yesterday, the governor announced that the state's controversial new elections police force had made its first arrests, some 20 people out of 14 million voters statewide. Even before this week, experts had voiced concern that this new elections police unit could have a devastating effect on vulnerable groups of voters, particularly formerly incarcerated people who have had their voting rights restored. Already, those fears seem to be warranted. While DeSantis has portrayed those who were just arrested as criminals hell-bent on committing voter fraud, three of the people named 
have said in sworn affidavits that they really, truly, honestly believe they had the legal right to vote, having already served time for previous crimes. Those folks say they were even issued voter ID cards and had been told by the state officials that they were indeed cleared to cast their ballots. So that's one headline out of DeSantis's Florida this week. Here's another. Just yesterday, a Florida judge blocked the governor's so-called Stop Woke Act as applied to private companies. That law, which has become a rallying cry for the DeSantis, the DeSantis administration, it restricts certain discussions about race that could make anyone feel uncomfortable. And those restrictions extend to both public schools and private companies, many of whom in the year 2022 offer diversity and inclusion programs to their employees where, gasp, racism may come up. The law has already made an impact in Florida. At least one organization removed statements condemning racism from its website, with many workers believing that was a response to the new Stop Woke law. So yesterday's ruling, blocking, at least for now, parts of Stop Woke that apply to private companies, that ruling was quite consequential. But the law still applies to public schools and colleges and universities all across Florida. So we went down there to see what students, teachers, and school board members had to say about the Stop Woke Act. I think it's really frightening how we already have such limited access to all this information, important parts of history, and now we're restricting it even more. It's Mm -hmm. very scary that there's going to be more ignorance. It's really pitiful to think that now, like kids that are going into school, younger kids, younger generations, the people who are being made into the future yeah. are going to have no idea of what's going on because we can't pick and choose the past. We can't pick and choose what to teach in history classes. Well, I mean, I think the governor thinks you can pick and choose mm-hmm. what you teach. I guess I wonder, like, are students going to accept that? It sounds like you think that some of them are. I think that if that's what we're taught from a young age, then that's what we're going to accept and start to, you know, repeat back to other kids. The actual name of the Stop Woke Act is the Individual Freedom Act, and it has been confusing and controversial ever since its inception. From the moment Governor DeSantis put pen to paper and signed it, a lawsuit hit the docket in a federal court in Tallahassee. The lead plaintiff in that suit, which is ongoing, is a Florida high school teacher named Don Falls, who works in Manatee County near Tampa. Mr. Falls is the kind of teacher you might remember from high school. He's been in the classroom for 38 years and has lived in the community for even longer. He's the kind of teacher who keeps up with his students and calls them and talks to them, so much so that when one of them, who's now an attorney, called him to talk about Stop Woke and its implications inside the classroom, Mr. Falls not only gave that former student some guidance, but offered to join his lawsuit. As a plaintiff. On the first day of the new school year, Mr. Falls sat down with me to talk about why he felt the need to join that lawsuit and fight back against Ron DeSantis and his agenda. Is this the first time you feel like the government has been in the classroom with you? I think from a political standpoint, this is the worst I've seen in all my years. This is the kind of the biggest attack I've seen upon the, the freedom of the classroom, as I'll call it. There was no attempt to disguise the political currency that DeSantis was trying to get from the passage of this. When it was signed into law, it had the fanfare of a campaign rally. Absolutely. And you see that as a teacher and you think, okay, what's this do as far as my classroom, my curriculum? You know, one of the aspects of it, for example, is, you know, that we 
as teachers, you know, can't do anything that makes a student feel bad about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I know when you're looking out at say 30 students and I, and I'm talking about, uh, for example, uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, and I show them a video, for example, of, of the, what happened in the, at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I hope there's a reaction as a teacher. I hope those kids are taken back by that. And now, under what I'm hearing from the governor and HB7 is, you know, th that may be dangerous ground for us. I mean, to what degree are you thinking about this law it, how, how much is it with you when you're in the classroom right now? I'm, I'm on a wait to, and see mode, see where we're going to go with this, to see if there are going to be teachers who will be called on the carpet because some student will come home and say something to a parent who will then say something to a school board member who will then say and so forth. And they just kind of threw this law out there. Uh, and I don't think there's really any guidance. My principal and I have had some conversations about this and she's a former social studies teacher herself. Uh, and we're both about the same, well, let's just see what happens here, you know? Well. Some things are happening, not related to Stop Woke, mm -hmm. but that have, um, you know, that connect to that agenda, right? There's these civics trainings that have been happening exactly. this summer. Mm -hmm. That's very real. Those are sure. slides that teachers are told to, you know, process, you know, teach from effectively, mm -hmm. which are a real overhaul of what we think of as traditional exactly. civics. It's an agenda for the long haul. Uh, not all that different than the, the pro-life community and Roe versus Wade. When Roe versus well, we know how that turned out. Exactly. And the pro-life community realized back in when, when Roe was passed in 73 that they weren't going to get it overturned then. So they played the long game, which was, how do you eventually win? Well, you get the right people in power, right people in politics, you get the right people into the courts, so that somewhere you're not going to win then, but two generations, three generations down the road, then you win the game. I think it's a similar kind of thing here. It's not about August of 2022. It's about the next generation of kids or the generation after that. Because once you start molding the curriculum to an ideology that you want, then you're going to train generations of kids that this is the way the world looks. Don Falls is not the only person I spoke to who sees what's happening in Florida as part of a long game, a diligent, coordinated effort using individuals at the local level to shape politics at the state and national level, which is, to be honest, why a lot of governors are doing the same thing. Governor Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, Governor Bill Lee in Tennessee. But DeSantis also knows that in order to control the schools themselves, you need to control the school boards. Now, in Florida, the school boards are supposed to be nonpartisan. But this year, Governor DeSantis decided to put his Republican thumb on the scale by endorsing dozens of school board candidates across the state ahead of the school board elections that take place next Tuesday on August 23rd. The governor is so committed to these races that he's even reportedly paying for campaign materials for at least some of those candidates. And DeSantis is doing all of this because he knows school board members are the front line in his fight to take over classrooms and change the culture of education. And that effort has not been lost on the school board members themselves. In fact, a lot of them find it terrifying. When I was crisscrossing Florida, I sat down with Jennifer Jenkins, who is a member of the school board in Brevard County on Florida's East Coast. If her name sounds familiar, it may be because during the height of the COVID pandemic last year, she says she was the target of a campaign of harassment from parents who are against masks and vaccine mandates in schools. But it didn't end there. And it doesn't end there. Take a listen. 
Tell me if you could recount the experience you've had facing the the animated crowd of of people who are proponents of this anti CRT stuff. I mean, you understand in a visceral way the passion that is ignited when you talk about this stuff. You know, I've had people on my front lawn protesting. I've had people send me death threats. I've had people try to recall me. And none of that has anything to do with CRT. None of that has anything to do with LGBTQ. They just use those as tools to target and attack me. And truthfully, the reason I feel like I I even had to deal with any of that animosity is because I'm a loud, proud, dominant Democrat on this school board. I mean, I guess so what you're saying is this is basically for a political movement that is much more about Republican power than actually some deep-seated emotional belief about correcting some wrongs in schools. And I guess I wonder, on the other side of the coin, do you feel like you are equipped with the tools to counter what has been a pretty successful multi-pronged effort to change the whole system of education in the Florida public school system. I hate to be a pessimist, but the reality is, is we need the voters to get out and vote. Um, If we have these people in office, there's really not a whole lot we can do because they put this into law. Do you hear from teachers who are grappling with the changes that are going to be in place in the classroom this fall? All the time. Um, People asking for answers to how do we implement these laws or these policies? How is this going to affect my classroom and my instruction? And one of the things that's really frightening about these laws that are passed is that the state passed them with no instruction. What do you think people who are concerned about the direction that things are heading in, what should they be focused on in the months and year ahead? I'm just so scared about the future of public education here in Florida, and I'm scared that it will like create this movement across the nation. This is a concerted effort to defragment public education, to make it unstable in order to privatize education, right? So we've got over 9,500 instructional vacancies in the state of Florida, and we're starting school tomorrow. Um, The fact that we are making them feel like they can literally be brought to court for teaching actual facts about history um, or about real families that are in their classroom. At the same exact time, we have a governor that's taking over what power the school boards have, putting in place essentially school board candidates that he chooses to be on the school board. I mean, it's scary. I think about the kids that are going to start kindergarten this year. Yeah. And they're going to be impacted by these decisions and policies, even if DeSantis loses the election in November, for years. Because it's not going to just magically be reversed. You know, what are these kids going to look like when they go to middle school and high school and go off to college? It's so much more big picture um, than just a history lesson. And don't get me wrong. I mean, man, that is a concern for me. Um, Absolutely. But, um, oh, God, it's so much bigger than that. Joining us now is Catherine Joyce, investigative reporter at Salon, who has been reporting extensively on the effort to shape schools in Florida and across the country with conservative Christian principles. The donor networks used to make it happen, the right-wing resources behind it, and the key players in the network to overhaul public education in America. You can read about it in her three-part series with headlines like Salon Investigates, The War on Public Schools is Being Fought from Hillsdale College, Coming to a School Near You, Stealth Religion, and a Trumped-Up Version of American 
American history and the far right's national plan for schools, plant charters, defund public education. It is an intricately woven web of right wing power and resources targeted at public schools. And Catherine Joyce has done the investigative work to lay it bare. Catherine Thank you so much for the work and for being here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I will say your reporting was like uh, uh, very much a reference tome as we went down to Florida and tried to understand how this has happened. Right. Um, Just for people who don't really understand. And I mean, I, I was among them until literally last week. What is the political influence that is behind DeSantis's agenda as far as schools in Florida? Sure. I mean, I think that education has become the political battlefield for Republicans right now. Um, but a big player in that is Hillsdale College and and the networks around that. Um, Hillsdale College is this small, conservative Christian school in Michigan um, that has become uh, just a really influential part of conservative politics. Um, conservative politicians um, really, you know, love to go and speak there. Uh, they get a lot of attention there. Activists go there. Um, the president of the school is close with governors in Tennessee, in Florida, DeSantis, um, Christy Nome in South Dakota. Uh, he has had, uh, you know, the school has had um, people like Justice Clarence Thomas come and speak in their campus. And Ginny Thomas, um, Justice Thomas's wife, actually helped Hillsdale create a Washington, D.C. campus. So this is a a school that, despite being small, you know, in a, you know, outside of the, the Washington corridor, is really punching way above its weight class in, in terms of the influence that it's having within the Republican Party and the conservative education movement in general. I think we have a handy graphic to explain some of the connections. Hillsdale is in Michigan, but its president is a guy named Larry Arndt, right? Larry Arn, yep. And Larry Arn was on the short list for Trump's education secretary. Is that right? Indeed, yeah. Betsy DeVos got that position, but Betsy DeVos's brother went to Hillsdale. Um, yeah, Eric Prince uh, went to Hillsdale. He's a graduate of the school. Um, the, the DeVos uh, Family Foundations have been connected to it for a long time. Um, you know, pretty much many of the think tanks or conservative media figures that you can think of. Um, many of them have connections to the school. And how is Hillsdale? Talk more about the connection between Hillsdale and Ron DeSantis specifically, because we know that Larry Arn is a big fan of Ron DeSantis. But Hillsdale's actually in some of the lo- Florida laws regarding education. What happened there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, several years ago, Florida decided to completely overhaul its civic standards. Um, which is basically kind of the the overarching framework um, that civics curricula would be based on in the state. They wanted to make it more, quote unquote, patriotic. We um, reported on that on Wednesday. Yes. Absolutely. That was wonderful. And and so Hillsdale College is one of the organizations uh, that that Florida tapped to advise on this project. And more recently, and I, I believe I saw this in, in your coverage on Wednesday, um, Hillsdale was also involved in the teacher training, the training of teachers to implement this, this new civic standards that a lot of them, um, you know, reportedly uh, the Miami Herald had, had amazing reporting on this, um, felt that this was, you know, promoting Christian nationalism, that this was minimizing slavery and the history of racism in the U.S. So Hillsdale central to all this. Hillsdale also has some affiliated networks around the country. And it looks like when you hear about all this, this overhaul of the of the public school curricula, the lessons, the way teachers can teach, 
There's also a secondary push towards charter schools. Is that fair? Is that the end game in all of this? I mean, we talk about sort of the way in which DeSantis has made public education a complicated concept. It's difficult for teachers. It's difficult for parents. It's difficult difficult for students and school board members. Is the driving goal here to get kids in charter schools? Well, I mean, that's at least part of the goal. So Hillsdale College back in 2010 started this this network of public charters, public classical education charters around the country um, that were, were teaching a curriculum that is kind of really big on American exceptionalism, um, Western civilization, uh, the idea that the U.S. was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, um, which is sort of secularized language for Christian nationalism. Um, and, and since then, they have, they have grown to have an influence in 53 of these schools around the country that are paid for public tax dollars, um, but are, but are advancing this kind of very private school classical education. Christian nationalism. Exactly. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, since then, um, that has become uh, a driving push in, in a lot of different places. Florida has a number of these schools. Um, Tennessee recently, um, in the state of the state address in January, Governor Bill Lee in Tennessee announced that he wanted to create 50 of these Hillsdale affili- affiliated charter schools in Tennessee. Um, other states have, you know, expressed interest in imp- implementing Hillsdale's curricula. Um, so it just really has uh, quite quite a big footprint. I will say we have to leave it there, Catherine. This is such important reporting. As we talk about Ron DeSantis, a man who may very well be the Republican nominee for president, we talk about a movement that's going across the country. This is not something that ends in Florida. This is extending to Colorado, California, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Indiana. This is the bread and butter of the new conservative movement. Your reporting has been fabulous on this. I encourage everybody to go read it. Catherine Joyce, investigative reporter at Salon. Thank you so much for your reporting and time today. Thank you so much for having me. Up next here this Friday night, new polls showing just what happens when Donald Trump gets involved in Senate races. Far-right candidates giving Democrats hope or, as they say, Trumptimism. And a judge tells Lindsey Graham he must testify in the investigation many experts say is the most perilous for Donald Trump. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All the indications we have right now suggest that despite Joe Biden's well-earned unpopularity, the Democratic Party still, again, as of tonight, has a strong chance of holding Congress in November. 
Fox News host Tucker Carlson has admitted the previously unthinkable. Democrats may actually have a shot at holding onto Congress in the midterms. Carlson was reacting to new polling from Fox News, which shows Democratic candidates besting their Republican opponents in a midterm election cycle that is supposed to favor Republicans. In the race for Senate in Wisconsin, Democratic Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes is leading incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson by four points. In the race for Arizona Senate, Democrat Senator Mark Kelly is leading his Republican opponent, Blake Masters, by eight points. And in the race for Arizona governor, Democratic Secretary of State Katie Hobbs is leading is leading the Republican candidate, Carrie Lake, by three points. In addition to those Fox News numbers, there is new polling this week out of the state of Pennsylvania, where Democratic Senate candidate and current Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman is leading Republican Mehmet Oz by, get it, 18 points. And in the race for governor there, Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro is leading Republican Doug Mastriano by 15 points. Democrats are up in all five of those races across those key swing states, and it is starting to make conservatives freak out. So Tucker Carlson's advice was to urge Republicans to campaign more on demonizing immigrants and homeless people because Tucker Carlson. But the problem that Republicans are facing right now isn't simply a messaging problem that demonizing poor people and brown people can fix. The fact is, Republicans have nominated a truly bonkers crop of candidates. I've never really felt it was society's responsibility uh, to take care of other people's children. On January 6th, I never felt threatened. And those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters I might have been a little concerned. The fact of the matter is, this didn't seem as an, like an armed insurrection to me. Don't tell me Joe Biden won 81 million votes. Don't insult my intelligence. I refuse to have it. The largest standing army in the world mm-hmm. are American gun owners. Mm-hmm. We've got over a trillion rounds of ammo out there. And that fact is the only reason we're a country right now. We do have a gun violence problem in this country, and it's gang violence. Very often, you know, black people, frankly. I've got the war paint on, as you can see, who said what about cultural insensitivity. I am a pro-life. I don't give away for exceptions either. It's not your body. It's somebody else's body. When you're campaigning 18 hours a day, you've, listen, I've gotten my kids' names wrong as well. I don't think that's uh, a measure of someone's ability to lead the Commonwealth. I was good air decided to float over to China. Bad air. <laughs> so when China gets out good air, their bad air got to move. At one time, science said man came from apes. If that is true, why are there still apes? Think about it. Think about it. That is the current crop of Republicans who now find themselves, surprise, trailing in the polls that survey normal people. Candidates all endorsed by a man named Donald Trump, all promoted by a channel called Fox News. In fact, those candidates rely so much on Fox News and other conservative media that they have begun shutting out all other media from their events. And all the extreme and absurd things they say, like denying the election, defending January 6th rioters, or scapegoating so-called black-on-black crime, all of it comes straight from Donald Trump and Fox News. Except for maybe Herschel Walker, who nobody can take credit for. But with the midterms fast approaching, how will the Republican Party grapple with the field of flawed candidates that were birthed in the conservative lab and nurtured by Donald Trump? I'll ask, veteran, I will ask veteran Republican strategist Mike Murphy that question and more, and I'm sure he will have a lot to say right after this break. 
Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. On day one, critical race theory and whatever else they're calling it is over. That's right. <laughs> it's done. On day one, follow the science. No more men on the girls' teams. Come on. <laughs> it's not that hard. Pennsylvania will not be host to illegal immigrants anymore. Lines like that from Pennsylvania Republican gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano elicited plenty of cheers with a MAGA-friendly crowd in Pittsburgh this evening, but they seem to be resonating less well with Pennsylvania voters statewide. A new poll shows Mastriano trailing his Democratic opponent, Josh Shapiro, by 15 points. It is one of several key battleground races where Trump-endorsed candidates are um, behind, and Democrats are starting to get maybe a little excited. Joining me now is longtime Republican strategist Mike Murphy, who has advised Republican candidates, including John McCain, Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney. He is currently a co-host of the Must Listen podcast, Hacks on Tap. Mike, thank you for joining me. Whose fault is all of this? I mean, Mitch McConnell is bemoaning the candidate quality. Is it his fault? Is it Fox News? Is it Donald Trump? What is it? How did we get here? Well, one, congrats on the show, Alex. Great to see. Two, if you got to blame somebody, you start with the, the crazy that's broken out in the Republican primary. And I think that's been whipped into a real problem for Republicans by none other than Donald J. Trump. I mean, if you know, generically, this is supposed to be a great election for Republicans. Off year, president's got weak numbers, inflation. But then the circus came to town in these Senate races. And so what should be a negative referendum on the president or from the Republican point of view is becoming a, oh, who the hell are these clowns discussion of some of these Senate Oz is on life support in Pennsylvania. A lot of the others can't raise any money. The party's running out of money, so they're getting beat on television, which is critical. So it's almost a perfect storm of screwing up. And I think Leader McConnell, you know, you can see he's out trying to lower expectations like, hey, we got some candidate problems here. And it's true, they do. But doesn't it point to a vacuum of leadership? I mean, of course, Donald Trump has stoked all of this, right? But in terms of actually someone like with their hands on the captain's wheel, it seems to suggest that no one can have their hands on the captain's wheel. No one can even try and grab the captain's wheel at this stage of the game. I mean, we have new reporting that a lot of these far-right candidates aren't al allowing any media but conservative media into their rallies. I think uh, an event with Ron DeSantis and J.D. Vance in Ohio today asked journalists yeah. to give them access to their footage in order to get entry to the event. I mean, this just makes that echo chamber even echoier, if you will. 
Yeah, that, that's the problem. It's bubble think. A lot of these candidates don't understand when the primary is over because the crazy stuff and the aluminum foil hats and the Uncle Sam suit are working in the primary, not with everybody, but enough to win in many places. But then they get into a general election, which is a very different ballgame where swing voters show up and they take one look at Trump and they take a look at the crazy. And all of a sudden, Democrats who should be in big trouble aren't. I, I will put one caveat on this, though. If you look back, if you're an old Jurassic consultant like me, and there are a lot of Democrat consultants in this category, you look back to 1980, if it is a big enough wave, a box of hammers can get elected to the U.S. Senate. So that's still a question. These campaigns can be really wobbly till the end. I mean, Herschel Walker in Georgia, you know, it's it's not what we call an ideal campaign. The campaign staff are passing whiskey bottles around, but he's still a couple points out of winning. Because of that big force, which is the reason the House may very well pop Republican, I bet on that. So as bad as it is, they're still in the hunt because it's a different kind of year. If, if Joe Biden can move his numbers up a little, that wave will go down. And then a lot of these Senate races couldn't depop Democratic. I mean, I just also wonder whether they're not pivoting to a more palatable message because they can't because they actually believe this stuff. Right. Like it's not just a strategy. This yeah, is actually the their governing thesis. Right. That, that's the problem. Uh, the, the authenticity of the crazy helped them in the primaries, but they're one hit wonders. So now they get in the general election. You got guys like Mastiano in, uh, in Pennsylvania who's going to go out looking for aliens, you know, because they believe it. <laughs> and the problem is swing voters in the suburbs. No, they don't believe it. So the, the race, instead of being about, hey, send a message to Joe Biden for inflation, is about the Republican candidate may be certifiable. And that is not what a winning campaign looks like in these vital Senate seats. Still, if the wave is big enough at the end, it'll be less about them. And you could have some upsets with real chuckleheads potentially winning. Box of hammers. Boy, oh boy. Mike Murphy, longtime Republican strategist, friend of the show. Thanks for your time tonight, Mike. Thanks, Alex. Still ahead here tonight, new details in the Georgia investigation into Donald Trump's efforts to change that state's 2020 election results. Former federal prosecutor Andrew Weissman joins us to talk about that investigation and the battle over the search of Mar-a-Lago. And a judge gives abortion rights advocates a major victory in their fight to protect the right to choose. We'll be right back. Four days before the attack on our Capitol on January 6th, President Trump made the now famous phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, in which Trump demanded that he, quote, find 11,000 votes. I know that between the January 6th investigation and the raid on Mar-a-Lago and the investigation to former President Trump's company, there is so much going on that it can be hard to keep it all straight. But we should not lose sight of the importance of the investigation that Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is conducting into that infamous phone call. Now, in part, that's because this is the case in which President Trump is most directly implicated. They have him on tape. Multiple witnesses corroborate it. That's hard to deny. But the other big reason to keep tabs on this case is that it wasn't just Trump pushing Raffensperger on this. Trump's phone call was part of the larger fake elector scheme that led up to January 6th itself. Last month, Bonnie Willis's office notified Georgia's fake electors that they could be prosecuted for their actions. Earlier this week, the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was also notified that he's a target of the investigation for his role in the scheme. 
Trump legal advisor Jenna Ellis is scheduled to testify before that investigation's grand jury next Thursday. The guy who got Trump into the fake elector scheme in the very first place, John Eastman, he will testify the week after that. But there is one central figure to all of this who is doing everything he can to avoid this investigation. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. Two months before Secretary Raffensperger was pressured by Trump on that infamous call, Senator Graham made a very similar call. Graham asked Raff whether Raffensperger had the power to toss all mail ballots in counties found to have higher rates of non-matching signatures. Raffensperger said he was stunned that Graham appeared to suggest that he find a way to toss legally cast ballots. It sure looked like he was wanting to go down that road, Raffensperger said. Now, Lindsey Graham claims he was just calling to ask some questions to do his, you know, due diligence. And he has been trying to get out of testifying about that call for months now. Today, a federal judge in Georgia ruled that Senator Graham couldn't do that. He was subpoenaed and he has to testify. A date is now set. Lindsey Graham is supposed to testify next Tuesday. But tonight we got the news that Graham has asked for an even higher federal court for a stay in his case, basically delaying again. Senator Lindsey Graham really does not want to talk about his due diligence. I know this case is being overshadowed in the news by all of Trump's other legal insanity, but things in Georgia are getting very interesting. Joining us now is Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel and former senior member of special counsel, counsel Robert Mueller's investigative team. He is currently a professor at NYU Law. Andrew, thank you so much for being with us on this Friday night. Nice to be here, Alex. So does Lindsey Graham stand a chance here or is this just running out the clock as long as he can? Well, I, I think he does not stand a chance, and I don't think uh, he's going to be able to run out the clock anymore. Uh, you know, he lost twice this week. Uh, the district judge ruled against him earlier this week, and the decision today was her saying, I am not granting a stay uh, pending appeal because this is so frivolous. Your claim that you have no information that would be unprotected by the speech and debate clause is laughable. Um, the claim that he made that this is pr protected under sovereign immunity, meaning because he is a federal government official, he should not have to respond to a state grand jury. Uh, that That's sort of an incredible claim for a sitting senator to make, and that was rightly rejected. I don't anticipate that the 11th Circuit is going to grant a stay here. So Lindsey Graham's going to be up to bat. Um, one of the uh, sort of notable things about this Atlanta investigation is the caliber of bold-faced names that are now being also called up to bat. We're talking, of course, about Lindsey Graham, but also Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Jenna Ellis. Having the big fish, if you will, testify is something that tends to happen towards the end of an investigation. Is that right? And if so, what inference do you draw about where Fannie Willis is right now in her investigation? Yeah, I mean, these are these are the key people um, to have them go into the grand jury. But I commend her because that's what you need to do. You need to have the people who are actually on the calls. Um, she has actually set forth to the district court what she wants to talk about. Two phone calls that Lindsey Graham made to Raffensperger and his coordination with the Trump campaign. 
None of that is is something that's protected by the speech and debate clause. And frankly, as somebody who is a public servant, he has an extra duty and should want to give his testimony. If there's nothing to hide and he did nothing wrong, I mean, I know this sounds naive, but he really is supposed to be going into the grand jury just like any of us would have to. I want to switch gears if I could, Andrew, because we do have so many parallel investigations happening at the moment and talk about Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Team Trump is, is intent or at least they say they're intent on releasing these surveillance tapes of the FBI search. And there's a lot of concern that that could actually in turn uh, endanger the FBI agents who could be identified in those tapes. What can be done at this stage to protect their identity? How much of a threat do you think the release of the surveillance tapes is to them and their well-being in this very pitched political moment? Well, you know, unfortunately, we've seen precedent for that um, because when the court issued the search warrant, it was redacted to remove names of particular agents. But that didn't stop Donald Trump from doing, uh, you know, from releasing names. I have to say the same thing, the special counsel investigation, a whole bunch of names and specific information was provided by defense counsel. So um, here, I think the government would have to go to court to make an application to at least try and um, remove the features um, of people's faces, which obviously can be done. Um, I don't suspect, though, that that tape, the surveillance tapes are anything that's going to actually help Donald Trump. So the sort of claim that he's going to do that because it's going to help him. I, I, this is one where having been a government prosecutor, yeah, I don't think putting evidence out there when you actually did something wrong is a particularly good strategy um, to defend yourself. The puzzle of Donald Trump. Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel, professor at NYU Law. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. You're welcome. And we have one more story ahead here tonight. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer's legal strategy pays off in her battle to protect abortion rights. We'll be right back. We have one last story before we go tonight. Even before Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's draft Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked, there were certain elected officials around this country who were prepared for the very real chance that the conservative court would turn back the clock on women's rights. Democratic Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in April sued to stop the state's archaic 1931 abortion ban from being enforced. Michigan's abortion ban, which bans all abortions except those saving the life of the pregnant person, it also makes abortion a felony. And it has remained on the books for 91 years, but had not been enforced for the past nearly 50 years because, of course, Roe was the law of the land. But Governor Whitmer, foreseeing what the high court would do and strip abortion rights from Americans, she sued the state's prosecuting attorneys from 13 counties where all of the state's abortion clinics are located. Those are the attorneys who would ultimately be in charge of prosecuting this law if it took effect. And Governor Whitmer sued to stop them from enforcing the draconian 1931 ban. And as that case has made its way through the courts, a historic number of Michiganders, over 750,000 of them, signed a petition, one that signaled their support for a ballot initiative in November that would codify the right to an abortion in the state's constitution and therefore make the state's 1931 ban moot. By the end of the month, the state board of canvassers will officially decide if that constitutional amendment, with all that support, will be on the November ballot. So with that in mind, today, the circuit court overseeing Governor Whitmer's case handed down a ruling. 
And the judge decided whether the prosecutors can enforce that 1931 ban. The ultimate expression of political power in this country comes not from the branches of our government and those that serve as public officials in them, but from the people. This court finds it is overwhelmingly in the public's interest to let the people of the great state of Michigan decide this matter at the ballot box, assuming the constitutional amendment initiative is on the ballot on November 8th. Therefore, and for all these reasons, the court grants a preliminary injunction in this case. This is a rare glimmer of hope in the otherwise extremely disturbing array of news stories we keep hearing about as far as abortion rights and access being blocked in state after state after state. While Michigan's abortion ban is for now blocked from being enforced, the decision will most likely be appealed. At the end of today's hearing, for good measure, the judge made sure to remind the public that October 24th is the last day to register to vote in the state of Michigan. And come November, if on the ballot, Michigan may become the first state with an abortion ban already on the books to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution. Just 81 days until Election Day, folks. TikTok. That does it for us tonight. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.